Hello and welcome to Move the Line presented by FanDuel with promo code 4 for 4 New users can take advantage of FanDuel's risk-free first bet to get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. How easy is that? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Enter promo code 4 for 4 to take advantage. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here as always by my friends, Connor Allen, John Daigle. You guys got together for lunch today. I believe that there was some mushroom coffee involved. There were some, some uh, experiences where Connor was maybe baptized to the world of john daigle how was that fellas connor how was it buddy no it was, it was great uh daigle gave me some shrooms for lunch um and Happy then we watched yeah, we watched lsd soundtrack um okay. I, nope. I think i i butchered both of those but I, Almost. I, I had some good mushroom coffee it, it was pretty solid I've, i'm still feeling like a solid buzz now uh, and i had that at like whatever four o'clock and then we i don't know what what was that band called that you turn on in the background it was like a live Lollapalooza of a band. I introduced you to Lion's Mane Coffee and LCD Sound System, which I got called a boomer for enjoying LCD. Like, that's not a boomer. James McMurray may be a boomer, but the music is not at all. It's rhythm. It's rhythmatic, which is great for writing. So I hope you enjoyed it. No, it was solid. I mean, we I had a very productive day. I wrote like one and three quarters articles, uh, got down on some more bets, uh, started calculating my positions on <laughs> everything. Um, let's just say I'm in deep. I'm in deep, so uh, but I'm feeling good about it. I think that uh, I'm in a great position here, uh, and you know, a lot of thanks to you guys and some other uh, friends in the Discord and uh, you know, friends in our other group chats as well. Yeah, I think uh, wisdom of the crowd is important at this time of year. Though I do think that the how you kind of cultivate your crowd is super important because if you allow the crowd to be everyone, uh, you can get into a place where you are reacting to literally anything that happens. Um, if you're able to really, you know kind of parse down uh your crowd i think you can get yourself into a, a pretty good spot to make uh advantageous numbers john to that point there are two important skills in life that as we get closer to the draft i'm realizing a lot of people don't have but should practice as well and that is one being able to take in information and then shit out 95 percent of it right just ignore it that a lot of people are not doing well and then also just the fact to not react, actually not act, to say no. Though That's actually a skill in life. It is much easier to react and move towards something rather than to sit and ponder and think. Also something people tend to be overacting right now, which is why I think today's show is very important for the draft. It is silly season. Uh, we have kind of been in silly season for a little bit. And what I mean by that is that there are numerous reports and, you know, meetings and this happened. And all of a sudden, you know, these teams are allotted 30 meetings with these players. And all of a sudden a, a guy is announced to be meeting with the team and then markets move or people react to that thing. And it's like, well, no, they get to do this. And uh, he was going to visit them the whole time anyway. And again, that's just, I get it. We're as excited as could be. I do believe, I think similar to, to you, Daigle, I know Connor feels this way. This is probably one of the best, if not the best betting events of the season, because I do think that information markets are something that are better than binary results of games and things like that. So uh, before we get into it, again, this is going to be draft centric. Wanted to remind you, uh, wherever you are listening or watching to subscribe. So you do not miss a show. Uh, after you subscribe, be a pal, take 30 seconds, shoot us a review. It helps other people find us, helps us keep these shows free. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, Leave a comment. Let us know what your favorite bet is for the NFL draft. We are eight days away. We are super stoked. Hopefully, we're going to give you some more today. I uh, would love to see some of your thoughts there in the chat. Um, also, betting subscription. 
444.com slash plans to scoop a betting sub. It's going to secure you access to literally everything on the sites, uh, projections, articles, tools, all the best ball content that you can handle. Uh, Daigle is doing extensive work on that. We have some great tools that Sam uh, have for, has for us, kind of exclusive stuff on the underdog side that I think are really cool and exciting. Uh, on the betting side, NBA, MMA, NASCAR, F1, USFL, uh, basically anything that you are thirsty for. We have a Discord channel uh, for you to, to take advantage of that. So today, the purpose of today's show is to talk about some bets that we have uh, either alone or collectively, our 10 bets. Uh, we're going to talk about these 10 bets, and essentially, we're going to poke holes in them uh, and talk about how they could go wrong. Like I said, we either either one of us has this play, or in a lot of instances, we've all kind of got down on this play in various numbers and various points. We have some thoughts. So um, I think that this is a, a very useful process because, Daigle, I think you could speak to this as probably part of what you are talking about at the top because this allows you to really stay – not sucked into the vortex of here's what my card is, here's what I need to happen, but allow yourself to be a little bit pliable based on the news that we think is actionable that we need to move off of, find some opportunities maybe to buy out of stuff. And again, things just happen when you're making bets into a market like this, say six weeks out. Anytime you listen to Daniel Jeremiah, Lance Zierlein, Dane Brugler, all these smart mock drafting individuals, they'll tell you it's perhaps the most chaotic draft of the last decade. And although sometimes that tendency becomes hyperbole, I truly believe that's where we're at right now, so much so that it's probably irresponsible to be too overweight with nine days left until this draft, which is why we are discussing these things. Because although we do have some very good closing lines, I was talking about the Connor to the, with this earlier, even something like getting – let's say Ahmad Gardner at under eight and a half, right? In some cases, we got him under double digits um, and other positional player values like that. It still could go bad in a hurry, so much so that we saw Debo Samuel trade today. Like if the Jets were in on that, that could ruin everything if he gets traded for the number four or number 10 pick because that perhaps messes up two or three wide receivers in the top 10. That messes up perhaps five and a half wide receivers in the first round. So although we have the CLV line, like, there's still enough out there that all of these could collapse in a hurry. And so I do like our positions, but yes, there's a lot that can still go wrong right now. Yeah. You can head over to the site four for four. You get a bet tracker on there that has everything that the three of us have bet uh, as a group, which I think is really useful. Again, the discord is how to maximize your subscription. If you are not, um, not a subscriber, take advantage of it. If you happen to be a four for four sub, watch the show and aren't in the discord, you just aren't really getting the most out of your subscription. It's the best place to get access to things as they break, news, grid discussion, uh, hang out with a bunch of degenerates that are uh, as passionate as we are and as you are about this type of stuff. So, uh, Connor, I'll let you get started with our first bet. Uh, again, this is a play that, uh, gosh, I really wish we would be you know, feeling really good about it today. I feel like the way that things have shifted, uh, we don't feel as good about it. I don't think it's dead but I don't think it is what we thought maybe it was even say two weeks ago with where we are. So get us started with our first bet here tonight. First to 10. Yeah. So something we got on, uh, I mean, I personally got on at hundred to one is uh, Ikem Mekwanu, uh to go number one overall. Uh, now this moved all the way up into him being the favorite, actually being the odds on favorite at one point we hopped on as a crew at plus 500. Now this is when uh, they did not look like they were going to tag uh, Cam Robinson. And at that point, we thought that it was almost certainly going to be a tackle. Doug Peterson talked 
a bunch about how important the trenches are, how important the offensive line is. We saw what kind of success that he had in Philly with a strong offensive line. And then now, you know, we, we thought that Aquanu, the more physical specimen of the two would be the pick. So at plus 500, we got on that. Uh, again, as you mentioned, I think it's still live. Uh, I think there's still a chance. We know that Doug Peterson still would prefer Aquanu over Hutch or Walker. Um, but at the end of the day, Peterson's not making the decisions. Trent Balky is. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably the biggest hole to poke there. Aquanu now down to 16 to one to be the number one overall pick. Uh, I mean, at that point, if you have a little bit of extra money and you're looking to sprinkle something, I don't think it's like a terrible play, but, um, you know, I, I would probably go elsewhere with it. Where are you guys at on this? Am I comfortable with the selection outright? No. Am I comfortable with the number? Hell yes. I am still of the belief, as I've been the last two months, that Equanu is the more likelier pick at number one overall than Aiden Hutchinson. We know Trayvon Walker is linked to Balky's decision. We know, like Connor said, it's Equanu to Doug Peterson. And we know Aiden Hutchinson are to those that don't matter in the organization, the ones that aren't going to have the final call on this decision. I still believe by Saturday, if not in the next 48 hours, Trayvon Walker will be minus money to be the number one overall pick. I've been hammering from 225 all the way down to plus 125 in some instances at the time of this recording. I will continue taking plus money because I believe max by next week, Trayvon Walker is definitively the number one overall. And so that's the way I still think it plays out. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I I think protecting the quarterback that you drafted last year at the top is a priority. I think that their offensive line is still not strong, even with, you know, Cam Robinson signing. I think that there are holes and ways to take advantage of this and you can very much slide someone over to guard, uh, whether that's, you know, Icky here for a year as he, you know, moves over and, you know, you're in the same spot with Cam Robinson next season. Uh, so I think addressing the offensive line still makes a ton of sense. But again, we're kind of in this spot where I think we feel pretty strongly about the number one pick, even though the betting markets aren't necessarily with us yet. But again, plus money, 16 to one still on this, even though, you know, the hundred not dead. Uh, I mean, I, obviously if it was a hundred, we should be still continuing to hammer it. But, uh, you know, anything here still in double digits, I think is still worth sprinkling on just to get some access to. The frustrating thing is that, in my opinion, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Connor, Icky's loan out inside the top three since his prop is three and a half is number one overall. I don't think we have a chance at two and three. And that is my issue right now in betting under or over at minus money because I'm just not sure the Lions, well, the Lions we know aren't interested, but the Texans are interested in him over Evan Neal, Ahmed Gardner will get there, or Thibodeau. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point there. And we've, we kind of seen his line move actually a little bit here too. We're, there's some spots Aquanu has moved to four and a half. Uh, there's still some three and a halfs out there, but you're right. I think number one is basically the main out. And then at three, the Texans, you mentioned they, they've, Ahmad Gardner has been getting a ton of steam as of late. And then we have heard, you know, through the grapevine that they prefer Evan Neal to Aquanu if they are going to pick uh, an offensive player. Again, you know, I think that Aquanu is a great player. You know, he has a lot of uh, great traits, and he was widely talked about as the better prospect um, throughout the, at least the last like month of the draft process. But again, you know, each team is separate. So I think that if we have a team specific link there and we trust our source, uh, I think that Neil is very much in play at three as well. So yeah, I, I guess if you can find a three and a half, uh, I would consider taking the over. Uh, but at the same time, I think we're so deep in our position that I don't think that it really makes sense with where we're at. I'm probably just going to leave it alone, to be honest. I think that the top of that board, as you mentioned, is so, so volatile. After one, I mean, I think like two through seven, there could be like nine guys. 
I think it's a good point though. But four doesn't four feel dead too? Because I don't of all the the instances of where the Jets are, we just don't have a lot of Jets offensive line talk at four. We don't have a lot of Jets offensive line talk at ten. Well, I, I Connor Hughes has gone on record saying that the only offensive lineman they would consider in that spot would be Aquanu, um, and that it would be a serious conversation if you were to fall to four. So maybe, but again, you know, his like biggest point has been, and to some extent, Daniel Jeremiah has been they wanted going to draft a wide receiver and an edge with four and ten. Do you mind if I move on to Thibodeau for our next bet? Because I think that's how this factors in, and that is Kayvon Thibodeau over under five and a half draft pick. And the issue is that Connor Hughes, so we have conflicting reports right now uh, and two sources I trust. Connor Hughes does not even mention Sauce Gardner at number four at all. An afterthought. Actually, no, does, says that they're not in taking corner. Okay, yes, that's fair. He mentions them in that they are not taking him. Whereas yeah. Daniel Jeremiah last mocked him and in the last 48 hours, if you listen to any shows he's done, is convinced that's where the Jets are leaning right now. But Connor Hughes believes they are heavily favoring Icky and not so much favoring Thibodeau as intrigued. The thing is, though, with this number, like Thibodeau, whether they know it or not, could very easily be there at 10. He may fall in their laps anyhow. Uh, and whether you believe or not, Noonan, maybe you do, that Thibodeau is falling to the Lions, and this has been a smokescreen the entire time, I don't think that's the case at all. I am fairly sure they are in love with Aiden Hutchinson, hometown kid, and that's the direction they're going. I don't even factor Thibodeau in number two at all. And so that's my issue is that the Jets aren't that much intrigued to just squash Icky at number four overall. That's where I think he lands genuinely right now, unless they go receiver. We'll get there in a bit too. And then Thibodeau plummets to God knows where. Yeah, I agree because I, I'm, I'm with you. With, obviously, we've had a lot of steam. It's kind of what the market would tell us now. If you just, without any context, open up and look at who's the favorite to go number two, it's suddenly Thibodeau over the last 24 hours. Uh, that shifts very much if Aiden Hutchinson is not the pick at one, in our opinion, because I agree. I don't think that this becomes, I don't think there's any question. Whether you believe the reports out of Detroit around their opinions of Thibodeau, like I feel like that's kind of maybe a spot where some of the early preseason narratives around Thibodeau have kind of landed around is he a Fitz is there again he's a 21 22 year old kid that is getting knocked for apparently caring about his brand or you know likes crypto I don't know like who cares what he was doing on the side uh if he can ball he can ball and he seems to to ball out um you're gonna find a lot of 20 21 year olds that have some plays on tape that they take off so uh feels a little noisy What's happening yeah. quietly this year is a changing of the guard. Uh, not only the mental process, right? Um, as mental health becomes a more advocated thought process in egotistical, testosterone-driven sports yeah. like the NFL. Remember, like Sean McVay and Aaron Donald, at the peak of their powers, nearly walked away after last year's Super Bowl because they both understood they can't do this forever. McVay even said, I can't sleep 20 hours per night on a couch for six months out of the year. This is especially when I have this much money and I'm doing this well and married to a supermodel. Like, I have to step away. And that's no big deal because I've lived a, a happy life and I have a successful career. Same thing's happening right now with rap careers, with other, with the being moguls, essentially. NFL, you come in, you get it done, you get away with your money. And that's very smart. We should always like promote that. And now you're seeing guys like Thibodeau's. Also, this is what Josh Norris has mentioned that we have quietly four of the greatest athletes ever to test out in this draft at their position. Tight end, linebacker, and defensive tackle specifically, and tight end as well, I believe Jelani Woods. They are literally 
the best athletes ever in a draft and they're all here so we're seeing like nutrition catch up as well to this draft so it's unprecedented which also leads me right back connor to just saying maybe we shouldn't have that much money in this the wildest draft ever <laughs> yeah i know i know you're gonna yeah i mean i know you're gonna like hate on that but i just think that we approach drafts very differently in terms of uh, risk allocation and everything and i think at the end of the day when i'm showing you uh you know a five-figure payout uh on my total draft card i'll be very happy with my selections here. So I think that I, I like to put some skin in the game. I mean, maybe you don't, I don't know. We'll, uh, we can go back and forth on that, but, uh, the, the Thibodeau here, I think, uh, you know, originally we took the over, I think at this point, if you can get an under, uh, I would consider buying back, but that's long gone at this point, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I'm pretty much just holding tight with any Thibodeau I have. It's not one of my bigger positions. It was probably like, you know, uh, a quarter of maybe what I played on everything else, uh, or at least some of my stronger ones. Um, but beyond that, I think that there could be some real lion steam, but it didn't didn't really make sense because the number one pick didn't move. And so if if you know that whatever, like they are going to pick Thibodeau, that means that they don't care who else is on the board. Uh, number one or like who went number one. So if it was Walker, they, they're picking Thibodeau. If it was Hutch, they're picking Thibodeau. Um, and in that scenario, I just don't really see how you could know that. I mean, unless literally Thibodeau is their number one player on their board, which I guess is possible. Um, I, again, it seems like there would have to be some serious, serious inside information that would have likely been leaked uh, at, at some point or another. So yeah, I'm not buying this team. I'm probably just staying off, not buying out of my position unless you get like a really, really good number from like an offshore. The really, really good numbers, unfortunately, just aren't out there right now. So uh, with you, like I don't feel great about it. It's probably one on the card that I feel the worst about, but I also don't necessarily think that there are zero outs. I think there are definitely to Daigle's point, there are numerous scenarios here that can shift this, whether it's, you know, receiver sliding in here into the top five cornerback. Um, you know, we really didn't have a, even a week ago, even two days ago, I think the thought process was that like sauce Gardner was probably seven. It just felt like kind of his spot. Like it felt like not necessarily his ceiling, but it felt like definitely his floor. But if there's some thought process around him moving up, whether he's, three, four, five, that shifts people back. And then all of a sudden, maybe there is a spot for Thibodeau to fall back into, like Daigle said, maybe he's the second pick for the Jets instead of the first pick for the Jets because there are other numerous positions here in the first. So I just still don't think he's a top five pick at all, personally. Okay. And also, oh, I have a lot of why? skin in the game. How, <laughs> how come? Not, not based on Matt Miller's tweets, but I have a lot of skin in the game. Uh, <laughs> because I can't fit him personally in. Nothing makes sense at the top. I don't believe it's the Lions at all. Texans, I believe, are stronger on cornerback or offensive tackle, knowing that they can get another position elsewhere at 13, which also makes sense. They can go offensive tackle and then perhaps get cornerback, even if it's McDuffie at 13 as well. And then the Jets, we've already discussed, are leaning icky. And I don't think Tibbs is a – I think it's something they're toying with, but not actually in a way they're going to do. And then the Giants aren't taking him at five. So I, I personally can't fit him in the top five at all. We heard a month and a half ago, all the way up to that, that Thibodeau is the, per, is the player most likely to fall to the mid first. And I don't see why that has changed at all since then. I don't think the Jets are dead. I could see that. But again, this is one of those teams that we feel like when we get a couple people in particular mocking the Jets come Wednesday afternoon of next week, we'll feel pretty good about what that pick is. And then we can kind of go from there. I think that he probably is Jets or outside of the top five. And um, again, that's kind of shifted, I think, in the last you know few hours. So I, I don't think it's as dead as it maybe was a couple of days ago. 
third play. Uh, and again, this is definitely a group effort. This is one that uh, at this point, again, we're eight days out. I can, I'm definitely going to get more skin in the game because we do all have skin in the game. We just don't necessarily all have all of our skin in the game. Um, but uh, Jameson Williams, top 10, top five, under 16 and a half. Right now where I'm at, um, some of this Jameson Williams top 10, under 16 and a half can really pay for my entire card. Again, that'll change because there'll be a lot more played in the next eight days. But again, a lot of talk around him being ahead of schedule. Again, ACL tear in the national championship game. Um, he's apparently ahead of schedule. There's a lot of people that are putting him at number one on their receiver draft board in a rich receiver class, which is fantastic. A lot of rumors about numerous teams down below, down in the late first that have ammunition to trade back up into the top 10 to nab him to get ahead of some of the other teams that are maybe in the teens that are kind of been pegged for receiver here. Um, very much love this play. Again, some of these numbers are dead. Uh, definitely the top five and top 10 numbers in particular. The top 10 uh, at nine to one, top 10 at seven to one. Um, those are very much not out there anymore. You're down to like plus 150. Uh, Connor, I know this is a very, very big position for you. One that can uh, very much make or break your day. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically I, I actually just mapped it out before this show, but right now, I mean, we'll look at the best on the board right now, 14 and a half, uh, minus 160 in the under is still available drafting. I still think that's a great play. Uh, you're looking at in the top 10. I mean, Daigle actually mocked it in his mock draft there. Jets at four picking him, but I think that they're also the Falcons at eight. Um, and the Jets again at 10 are all live in that scenario. Also Washington at 11 rumored to plenty of wide receivers, um, the Houston Texans at 13 were mentioned a bunch in terms of wanting wideouts. And then I think a sneaky out there as well with the Ravens at 14. Uh, I mean, their wide receiver room does not really inspire much confidence. They've been talked about like 0% in terms of wanting a wideout. It's just pure connecting the dots. But I mean, their, their receiving room is pretty rough, especially after Lamar getting injured. It would not surprise me if they decided to either. I mean, they obviously need help in the trenches as well. But again, I think that there's an outside chance of that as well as a trade up at some point in there for Jameson Williams. I mean, multiple teams have been linked outside the top 15 to Jameson Williams uh, most recently today, uh, you know, like Saints, Cardinals, all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jameson Williams been ranked the number one wide receiver on multiple teams boards. He's also uh, ahead of schedule, as you mentioned. Bob McGinn came, came out today with his initial report where he pulls multiple executives throughout the leagues. Uh, he was his number two receiver, according to all the executives uh, polls. So, I mean, I think that under 14 and a half, even at minus 165 is still very much in play. And yes, I have uh, a pretty large position on 16 and a half, top five, top 10. Um, and I feel great about it. I mean, even if he ends up at 12 or 11 or, you know, whatever, 14, I still make money, uh, you know, not as much as I should, but, you know, again, still in the green. So that's what matters. Since Probably we talked last Wednesday, it has, again, the tides have only gotten stronger and larger. Uh, Chris Mortensen and Daniel Jeremiah have both thrown out their top four pick, potentially, if it's three consecutive edge rushers for the Jets. And then we know he's also the number one wide receiver on a lot of teams' boards, including the Cardinals and Chiefs, potentially trading up for him. The real question we're trying to answer isn't if Jamison Williams is a number four overall pick. It's... Who is the number one wide receiver on the Jets board and how long do they think they can wait for them? Because I think it's fairly naive to think they can wait for number 10 for both Williams or Garrett Wilson. Don't think it happens at all. And so if that's the case, again, it was it's me getting ahead of this thinking they know they have to jump the ship and then hope that an edge rusher or offensive lineman, offensive lineman, whether it's 
Penning or Charles Cross as well, likely will be there at 10. They have to think that way knowing they're leaving four on the board essentially. So I still think they can know they're jumping the line, getting Jameson Williams, knowing he fits the type of receiver they've been going after all offseason in Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill. They want a fast, almost like a an H tight end, like a motion-wide receiver to do 49ers Shanahan-style plays with. That's Jameson Williams, who literally has sea of speed. Like, you can't even clock his 40 so fast. So I still believe it's not a long shot. And obviously, since the last show, we pushed this number down single-handedly. It's no longer 50-1 to 1 anywhere. It's It's now still a good number to bet, so... I'm still trying to get ahead of it, but if it doesn't happen, sure, I won't be shocked. But we still have a week to go, and we've already heard so many things about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, even just today, uh, Daniel, you and I were listening to the podcast today. Daniel Jeremiah was asked, like, point blank, like, who do you think will be the wide receiver one? Uh, I mean, he did was not very, like, definitive, but he said that based on what he's been hearing, he thinks it'll be Jameson Williams. So Nine days, boys. Nine days. Just imagine how much more hype Jameson Williams gets. Yep. And you know that no matter who tweets it, I'll be retweeting it, quote tweeting it. Doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I'm in one dynasty league. Had you know first round yesterday. I uh, had to take Jamison Williams for the brand. Uh, locked in the moment. Again, just an electric player. I think we're going to be excited about on the field. We're going to be wanting to play him in DFS. We're going to be wanting to bet. Uh, you know, yardage overs in season, depending on where he lands. I mean, there's a few scenarios where. Uh, he's just going to be really exciting if he lands on the Chiefs or something like that from a football, pure football standpoint. So, yeah, that's one that I think we all have a pretty big position on. Um, and so is this next one. Derek Stingley Jr., uh, under 12 and a half. This has also been very noteworthy today. There is another Daniel Jeremiah uh, made an appearance on uh, NFL Live on ESPN. And emphatically, I mean, straight-faced, he's not falling out of the top 10. Um, that felt like not speculation. That felt like Jeremiah, who is like, I don't want to say understated, but he's not like, there's not a lot of hyperbole in Jeremiah's delivery. Um, it's just not necessarily his games. When he says something so matter of fact, Daigle, he's not falling out of the top 10. I think that that's actionable data. Uh, we felt like 12 was kind of the floor, which is why we took that play. Once everything tests, we saw the testing after, you know, Liz Frank, the ankle injury from the sophomore year. Everything looks good based off of how we test in the combine. And now we're seeing 10 and a half. There is even some nine and a halfs out there on Stingley. Now, the other thing I think, I think it's was VR uh, Vegas refund made a, a good point where I think there's some correlation tied to the cornerbacks, uh, whether that is Gardner moving up. If Gardner really becomes three, four five, that's really interesting. Maybe the giants are in the market still, no matter what we were pegging for sauce at seven, maybe Stingley can move up into that area. Seattle's been a team that's been talked about for Stingley at nine. Uh, that makes the nine and a half very, very clean. Uh, whereas 10, 11 kind of feel like dead numbers based off of what we've seen. So Stingley on the move, feel really good about the 12 and a half dingle. 12 and a half was a bad number before he was medically cleared, knowing before the injury, he was the number one cornerback in this draft. Seven and a half is a bad number after he was cleared. If books were sharp, and they'll probably do this right after the show, it should be five and a half should be the number because you have outs at three, four, and five. Uh, the Texans are apparently so high on him, they could go him over Sauce Gardner. We've also heard Nick Serio speak in media appearances just this past week, and he didn't say the position exactly, but he said necessarily they don't look for size and reach in a certain position. Could have been offensive tackle with Evan Neal short arms. Could have been cornerback. We have no idea. And so 
knowing per Jeremiah how much extensive research they've done in Stingley and how much they love him, they also have to know they can't get him at 13. There's no way. And so you have multiple outs, not only under 12, not only under seven, but under five as well. So very clearly, like hammer seven and a half. Uh, Connor, ten and a halfs. They're still out there based on the news of Jeremiah today. I know oh. we feel good about 12 and a half. Might not be necessary, uh, depending on where the juice is. How do you feel for folks listening or watching now that can catch 10 and a halfs? Uh, do we want to take any action on Stingley? Yeah, I mean, I, I upped my position today, actually. So initially I had about like three quarters of what I had on, you know, like a, a Jameson or a sauce, you know, under. Uh, and now today I upped my position in the top 10 because now, as you mentioned, you know, sauce could go as high as three. And that kind of domino effect there, I think, leaves the Giants who are likely to get rid of James Bradbury via trade or cut um, exposed to potentially getting him at five or seven. And then the Seahawks, like, you know, I mean, that's just a very loud drumbeat at this point that we've heard from multiple sources saying that Stingley is a total, like, complete Seahawks player and that he would be a perfect fit for them. So, yeah, I think that's kind of that whole transition there, uh, like with seven and nine, having multiple outs inside the top 10 has made me really like that top 10 pick. Um, as a bet. So I think that, you know, taking that under there and then, I mean, absolute worst case, we got in at 12 and a half. I think that the Vikings uh, picking him at 12 and a half would be, I mean, the, the floor for a guy like Stingley. Uh, but again, now I think, you know, constantly evaluating where the line is at. I think that 10 and a half, you can take the over, you can take the under there. And I mean, to Daigle's point, if you really want to get frisky, uh, maybe grab like a top five number as well. Interesting. All right. Next, Drake London, uh, under 12 and a half. Uh, this is something that we have all got in on. Um, Drake London's been kind of a very automatic spot in a lot of mocks for about a month to the Jets at 10. Uh, bigger body receiver, fits a little bit of kind of what their needs are there with, you know, slot receivers. You know, Elijah Moore last year. They got Corey Davis on the outside as well. Drake London, more of uh, Michael Pittman, Mike Evans type of body, uh, big play in the red zone, uh, Daigle thoughts on London again, obviously the, I think the James Jameson Williams stuff has kind of impacted London's process about like, again, there are only so many guys that we can have here in the top 10. How do you think he is kind of trending now based off of this number? The good thing is, you know, what kind of player he is. Josh Norris and Hayden Winks underdog compared him to Mike Evans pre-draft and that big bodied receiver who comes down with the ball, even in high school, uh, multi-sport athlete, London averaged 29 points and 12 rebounds in, in basketball. And then also in his last year prior to ankle injury, led the FBS with 19 contested catches. Like he has a big play threat. You just toss a 50-50 ball to and he'll come down with it. The issue is I don't know where to fit him if I'm of the belief, and clearly I am, that Jameson Williams ranked higher on the majority of teams' boards, and that's the player teams are trading up for. So 12.5 to me, I probably lean under 12.5, but I'm not confident in it. Um, knowing the Eagles, Chargers, and Saints are right after, and all it takes is basically Washington going a lobby at 11 over London to knock London outside of the top 11. So it's not a it's not a bet I'm personally confident with. Yeah, I'm okay if if Jamison Williams kind of slides into the top 10, maybe the Falcons who are very much a wild card because of all the like absolute depth of knees that they have. They don't they just have a pretty gross roster. Uh but again, uh receiver makes a lot of sense there with all the issues that they have. We talked about that last week. You know, it's really difficult to really name three active receivers on that team uh so they have a need you could still see london again makes sense for the jets but again the jets are very much a wild card 
with how they pull the trigger at four. So thoughts here on London at 12 and a half. Yeah, I mean, like the cornerbacks, uh, I think there is another wide receiver domino effect at the top here. So if the Jets at four or maybe the Panthers at six trade out and someone else comes up and takes a wide receiver, you know, that bumps all of these guys up a little bit. You know, that takes, say, if Garrett Wilson is that number, that guy at number four, then you're looking at a, a team trading up for Jameson Williams at number six. And then then you're looking at London at either, you know, at like eight potentially for the Falcons or potentially at 11 to, to uh, Washington. There's a bunch of different outs there, I think. Uh, in that scenario. But then again, like if the first wide receiver doesn't go till eight and that's say Garrett Wilson or Jameson Williams, then you're looking at just eight, 10, 11, uh, you know, Dalton Cates mentioned here, Minnesota 12 sneaky spot. Uh, I mean, I think that that's, it's a little bit thin, but again, you know, I think that it's very possible. So like, I don't love the under as much as we did before, because when we were looking at it before, it was more of like a two man race. You know, it was a London versus Garrett Wilson, you know, in the top 12 and there are like three spots for a wide receiver to go. So we thought that's more than fine, but now Olave has been getting a lot of hype to Washington. Jameson Williams is getting a lot of hype as a top 10 wide receiver. So when you factor all that in, yeah, I think it's, it's tough for me to feel great about London, but I will certainly sacrifice London at the hands of a Jameson Williams top 10. Quick question for both of you, because we're now talking basically the first 12 picks. Who do we lose in the first 12 picks? Because everyone's trying to shove 17 players in the top 12. That's not how this works. In my mock draft, I even mentioned the fringe first-round players knowing I was going to go back to that list and try to perhaps jam them in, seeing who gets heat and gets steamed up in a couple weeks prior to the draft. Like, who do we lose, in your opinion, the first 12 picks? That's why I think Tibbs could be lost in the shuffle. That's why I think... Um, a receiver like Drake London get lost in the shuffle because we're just trying to fit too many at the same position in this spot. Yeah, I mean, I think that the two offensive linemen that are very difficult are uh, first, Charles Cross will come off the board before Trevor Penning does. But I think both of those guys are very challenging. You can see scenarios that make sense for Penning down the board. If he wasn't to land in Seattle, for instance, uh, very easy for him to get lost in the shuffle if Stingley, for instance, goes to Seattle. And then Cross is a guy that, based off of his game, has been kind of difficult to peg to. Again, just more of a you know air raid pass block guy versus someone that you could you know put in a run heavy system. Again, kind of crosses him off the list of Seattle, for instance, if they happen to to fall there. There are talks that the Giants really like him, but again, if the Giants really like him, to your point, Eagle, someone else is falling. So like it does get pretty cloudy here when we have like 15 guys for 10 spots. I agreed. It was cross to me. Sorry, Connor initially, Man. but the fact that Brian Dable even came out, remember giants five and seven and said cross can play left tackle. We don't mind kicking Andrew Thomas to right tackle. Andrew Thomas's rookie year was an absolute disaster last year, much improved so much. So I thought they'd go ahead and guarantee him the spot, but also remember different regime. Didn't draft Andrew Thomas. Don't mind moving him around if that's necessary. And Cross, as we know, his last two years at college, two-year starter, exclusively left tackle. That's why he was such a tough fit for me inside the top 10. But if Dable even says, screw it, like we're taking the best player and he's the best player, that's what we have to do, that makes sense because then you can leave over Evan Neal and Charles Cross if we assume they make it to like six and seven and you say we're taking a cornerback at five, a clear need after getting rid of James Bradbury, most likely, in the next week. And then we're going to take the leftover offensive alignment because that's what we're doing. So, Connor, that's kind of where my head's at now, and I definitely don't want to leave Cross out of the top 10. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Uh, and so if we kind of look at the guys we've talked about so far and look at the top 10, I mean, you guys mentioned, you know, 15 players in the top 10. I think it's closer to like 12, 13. We can go through it real quick. So we got Aiden Hutchinson, Trevon Walker, Evan Neal, 
Um, you know, I think Thibodeau is almost certainly going to the top 10. I know Daigle doesn't think so, but I would say that based on the odds right now that he's a very good bet to go in the top 10. Uh, Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, we mentioned, is a great bet to go in the top 10. Then you have, so that's seven guys right there. Then you're looking at uh, a kind of a clump of guys. Garrett Wilson, over-unders 10.5. Jermaine Johnson, over-unders 9.5. Charles Cross, 7.5. Kyle Hamilton, 10.5. And and then Jamison Williams, 12.5. Drake London, 12.5 as well. So that's like five to six guys that need to fit into three slots. Um, Who gets left out? I think Jermaine Johnson, very interesting uh, possibility he gets left out. There was a lot of early buzz on him. Now I'm having a tough time finding a spot for him. I think that eight, maybe it would be like, you know, his ceiling, but again, you know, I, I think that he might be one, do you guys have any takes on him? So Connor, when I mentioned unprecedented draft and the money involved, I swear it wasn't a shot. It's that this situation right here and talking about like a Jordan Davis or Jermaine Johnson, again, the most athletic, the most athletic profiles ever at their positions, defensive tackle and linebacker respectively, perhaps the Falcons with so many needs across the board don't get that Calvin repla- Calvin Ridley replacement immediately. Perhaps the new regime factors in the best athlete of all time at that position. Unprecedented. Again, we have no idea. And so those are the players that sneak into the top 10 and screw it up because we're in untreaded territory. We have no idea what could happen in this one spot that suddenly kicks Garrett Wilson out to number 10, right? And then pushes receivers back. Like it's tough, man. It's really tough. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, obviously for the listeners who don't know, I, you know, you and I like to go back and forth and jest. On yeah, a lot of we're joking, stuff. So, obviously. Yeah. 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 There's, there's no, uh, no real, uh, harm here, but, uh, yeah, I think that that's a good look. I mean, there's again, like, I don't know how the top 10 goes. And I think that, uh, to your point, embracing some of the volatility of this draft is, is super important. Um, so like being able to get early positions with a, like a wide range of outcomes and like have multiple outs for each thing. So something that I was looking at today, I think is a great, you know, talking point, Jordan Davis. Uh, I looked at, I like thought his under 14 and a half was a little bit interesting because Houston has been rumored to him and Daniel Jeremiah has gone on consistently about how Baltimore is his floor. He'd be a great fit at 14 to them, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but th- I think that's kind of an issue. Like there's one out, like you're banking on basically just Baltimore. You're banking on Baltimore and maybe Houston. So, I mean, does that make it a good play? Like, I don't think so. I think that you kind of need like that two to three outs where you're embracing the volatility of what if this happens? Oh, okay. Well, we can still land at this spot. You know, like what if one of the the Ravens top offensive lineman falls? Like what if Cross is their guy? You know, he's not, but you know, what if like Trevor Penning is like their number one offensive lineman, you know, and he's still there at 14, even though Jordan Davis is a great fit on paper and is their number two player. Like you're basically banking on one out. And that's something that you should be concerned about, not only in this kind of like top 15 range, but like also in the top 20, I've been talking with a lot of our subs, kind of the same issue for all of those. And that's how I've been approaching it. Yeah, we get into that in the like top 32 market as well, because it gets really cloudy. And I think we touched the base on this a little bit in the last episode when we were doing the mock is that um, it's not a top heavy draft, right? We don't have like the very clear cut number one quarterbacks or even, you know, two or three that we typically have. We, we have these situations where we're trying to find scenarios where there are options for these quarterbacks, maybe even in the top 32, not even in the top 10. And then we get in these scenarios where we also have eight teams with multiple picks in the first round. So again, like, and we have these teams like Carolina. Everyone knows that Carolina doesn't want to really make that pick at six. They do not have a second round pick. They do not have a third round pick. They would love to find a dance partner, get themselves out of there too. So there's, again, lots of different ways here that one kind of scenario, uh, one speck of dust in here and the entire machinery falls apart, Dingle. 
since we're in the heat of the show, I quickly want to shameless plug all these questions. I'm hoping to answer with everyone on tomorrow's, or if you're listening to this, today's, Thursday's, 4 for 4, the most accurate podcast, because we have ESPN's David Newton, Panthers reporter, coming on the show. We have New Orleans Saints' Nick Underhill joining the show, and we have LA Times' Gilbert Manzano joining the show. All teams that I expect to at least try to trade. And I brought them on for this reason because we are going to get to the bottom of what the hell's happening at those picks. So tomorrow's show, stay tuned. Uh, next, over one and a half safeties. This is a position that uh, is currently exclusive to Connor. Um, part of <laughs> da- part of Daigle and I's, I think, hesitancy was around questions around who's labeled a cornerback. At least for me, that was a big, a big issue. Um, I do have Dax Hill as a first round pick. I have a bet of him in the top 32. Um, he is a, someone that can play slot corner. He can play all over. He makes a lot of sense for Jordan Poyer, who is possibly in his last year in uh, Buffalo, for instance, where he can slide in, play slot for a year and then transition to, you know, a, a strong safety for them. It was really at the point where we were trying to decide on making this play with Connor was how are they going to label that? Is he going to be a defensive back? Is he going to be a cornerback? Is he going to be classified as a safety? Uh, Connor, this floor is yours. Yeah. So I think that something to clarify here and something that I actually got clarification on after our show last time, um, you know, we reached out to DraftKings, reached out to FanDuel and uh, multiple other domestics. Uh, contrary to last year's and other years prior, they will be going based off of what NFL.com says right now. So they will not be going based off of what cool. is announced. Uh, they have that in writing. You know, that is like in their rules and was also talked about with customer service. So, you know, there's multiple ways that, you know, the, we can get retaliation if they do decide not to do that. Um, but the reality is they are going to go off of that. So Dax Hill, you know, he could certainly be announced as a corner. I think you guys are right. Um, but now will be a safety in terms of this bet. Um, so now it really comes down to Dax Hill first round. Um, and also Lewis seen is in, in play here as well. He's been getting a lot of buzz, but you know, a lot of the buzz has been like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, he's a guy who could go in the first round or a guy who could be like slip into the bottom of the first round. That's not something that I really like to bet on, especially at, you know, we got this number at, I got this number at minus 160, all the way up to minus 180. Um, now we're sitting at minus 260 on over one and a half safeties. Um, and then you're also betting on Daxton Hill. You know, Daxton Hill right now to be a first round pick is just minus 135. Um, and, oh, actually minus 160. We played it at uh, minus 120 in some shops, I think minus 135. Regardless, I think that that's a better bet if you really like Daxton Hill to go in the first round or you like the over one and a half safeties. But personally, I'm getting a little bit concerned, uh, Noonan. I don't know. Do you have a take on this now? Like, I was really bullish on Daxton Hill going in the first round. At this point, I'm kind of not souring. I just think it's closer to like the odds that I got it at. I think it's like a minus 150, minus 160 type of odds. Now we're sitting at minus 260. I'm considering buying a little bit back on some of this position and getting some plus 200 on the other side and locking in a little bit of profit and then kind of letting the rest ride. Um, do you have any takes on Daxton Hill here or this market? I love Daxton Hill. I think he is a, uh, I think he's a first round NFL talent. So that's kind of what I was getting to is that this is still, it's actually a decently deep draft. And a lot of teams want to get into this range because even though it's not top heavy with the quarterbacks and stars, uh, this range I think is, is really nice. People want to have, as many of these picks in like the you know 15 to 45 range as they can because there's maybe not a whole lot of uh things that can differentiate we had a spot like not too long ago where there were you know a handful of other corners and even safeties that were getting mocked in the first round fairly often um i just think that the position flexibility for for dax hill 
is better than some of the other guys at the position. Um, you know, Booth, for instance, is a little bit limited and then has injury issues, whereas Hill can play safety or corner. And again, you can put him in the slot. Uh, played a lot of slot at Michigan uh, and did it very well. So I think some of the film grinders that I respect, definitely not something that I will uh, pretend that I am. I mean, I like to watch football, but to like try to pretend that I am a, you know, a film scout is, is definitely not something. And you should probably be reluctant to anyone uh, that is doing that. I think that they really like Jackson Hill, some of that I respect. So I think that he finds himself with numerous outs in the back half of the first round. Um, Again, I kind of pigeonholed him to Buffalo in my mock draft, but I think that's not his only out. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I also, just real quick before Dago, I mean, top 50 in Daniel Jeremiah's, he's a 19 overall in Daniel Jeremiah's top 50, um, you know, has an extremely high RAS score, uh, over nine, ran a 4.38 at the Combine. Um, again, like you said, fits multiple schemes and fits. So I think that there are a ton of outs, even if they're not very clear. Um, but I guess that lack of clarity, you know, has me wavering a little bit. Um, Dago, what do you have on this? A reminder, Connor came over for shrooms and LSD earlier, and we listened to the Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks move the sticks podcast where Bucky Brooks specifically used the sentence. And I popped my head up like a gopher <laughs> saying Lewis scene is a player. I can see sneaking into the end of the first round. And I looked over at Connor and he goes, oh no, because sneaking into the first <laughs> round is not minus 260, right? Like, so in Connor's defense, minus 150, you got CLV, you got your good number, but Daxon Hill, Lewis scene, I still believe gets shoved out of the first round because of the need at offensive line. When you get to the twenties on between the Patriots, Cowboys, Packers, Bucks, and Bengals, I think they single-handedly push the two safety market out until day two. And that's where I stand. Yeah. And that's totally fair. Cause I think that there are numerous outs. Like you said, you get into um, some of those teams, but I think another spot for Dax Hill. Um, again, I don't think it's new England, but in new England is they're often don't make the pick when they do. It is often surprising. It is not always, you know, along the lines of your, prototypical mock drafts and draft boards. They definitely do their own thing. They do love uh, roster flexibility and some of those things. So um, I think that, again, they do have a need at cornerback as well in the back half. So I think that the Patriots are in out. I mentioned Buffalo. I think uh, there are two picks for the Packers. I don't think that they're going to go defensive back. I think more likely you could see the Chiefs, if they're to stay home, take a defensive back with one of the two. Uh, and also the Bengals, if they don't take an offensive lineman, I think they are very much in the realm of outs for uh, secondary help as well. So I think that those are kind of the outs that uh, Connor is definitely holding out for. I'm in the same spot because I feel like I essentially have this in a different way because I have Dax Hill first round, uh, even though I don't have over one and a half safety. So uh, take a look the, the out to both your points is the Patriots. That's kind of where I figured too. And it's solely because Hill was a full-time starter that also played special teams. And we know Belichick loves him. Some all-around athletes that play cornerback and safety and can gun on special teams. So that's pretty much your sneaky out right there. That's a good point like that. I didn't even consider that either. I mean, that's now you're adding some fuel to the fire. Now we're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> I'm not betting it's still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Patriots are a, a real, again, first-round wild card. They could be a spot for a team that wants to move up from the bottom half or maybe you know leverage a second-rounder to get into that quarterback mix. 
Um, they could stay there, take an offensive lineman because they lost a couple in free agency. Um, they like to have really six guys that they are comfortable starting at all times. So they need some depth there. Again, JC Jackson, pretty big loss there in free agency on his way to the Chargers. So secondary help definitely in play for New England. Another one that we got down on early at a plus number, which is very surprising in relation to what the market is now, is over five and a half wide receivers. We got that at, I believe, I plus 118 is the number that I have from MGM. This is basically like minus 300 now. Uh, but to Dago's point, there are some scenarios, whether it's a Debo Samuel trade or uh, some of these other situations where maybe there are some maybe outs for five receivers now. I don't know what you guys think here. Uh, you'll see a lot of mocks with seven. Um, I feel good about having a plus number here. I wouldn't bet into this at the current you know number at minus 200, minus 250, anything like that, Daigle. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, five and a half receivers? I still think six is the floor, so I still believe this number is safe, but Debo Samuel is a wrench and everyone's grandest laid plans because if they were to trade him, and right now it doesn't sound like the 49ers have any interest in trading him. We know he's demanding $25 million a year, whether that be on a three or four year deal, and we also know the 49ers have all the leverage in having him on the final year of his contract and then the potential to just slap him with the tag. He can't hold out for two years, right? And so as long as they stay steadfast, nothing's going to happen. And you would imagine it dies because there's really nothing to trade him for after the draft. So you're going to know in nine days and it's going to die. But if Debo were traded, that's where it gets messed up. Otherwise, right now, I have seven wide receivers mocked in the first round. That includes one going to Kansas City at 29 or 30, whether you think it's Pickens, Dotson, or Watson. Uh, Noonan, I'm not sure how many you have, but yes, sixth floor, eight ceiling is what I've been projecting it at for the last month and a half, two months. Yeah, I'm mocked seven. I'd probably trade out one of them and put in a, a new receiver, but I would also... Just yeah, that's so. everyone, yeah. if you ask around, even like the top three drafted, everyone has something different. Yeah, so I think it is seven uh, because of the needs. Again, not mocking any trades, having people stay where they currently are. Uh, again, it is a position that teams have started to value. Again, seeing you know how these guys are getting paid, being able to have a guy in under team control for five years at a fairly nice number based off of what the current market is for free agents. Like the Debo thing is tricky because the Debo thing is not only – the draft equity, you got to pay him. So like to give up a first or, you know, some stuff next year and a first, whatever that looks like. And then you have to pay him three, four years, 20, 25 million. Like that is a huge haul versus kind of staying where you're at and taking a shot and hoping you find a Debo who was landing in the second round for the Niners. So again, this is a deep, talented receiver draft. So uh, I, I'm interested to see how that shakes up. And they don't seem like they're open to really hearing anything. Uh, again, uh, I think Albright today had said, you know, the early temperature on it is that they're the ask is what you would expect it to be for a team that's very reluctant to to trade them to begin with. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Connor? Obviously, we got in at a pretty good number to have uh, close to you know plus one twenty on this. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, some wide receiver needy teams. Just looking at the last twelve picks alone, you're looking at New England, Green Bay twice, who just got rid of Devontae Adams, Kansas City twice, who just got rid of Tyreek Hill, and then Arizona, who's apparently eyeing wide receivers as we uh, noticed today, and Tennessee. Uh, I think that those are all very legitimate options for wide receivers to go. And I expect you know that kind of core five of Williams, Olave, Burks, 
Wilson and London to all go in the top 20. I think that even Burks probably will find his way into the top 20. Current over-under is 22.5. I think his absolute floor is the Cowboys at 24. And even then, I think that that leaves plenty of room for a guy like Jahan Dotson, who I think is my pick to sneak into the end of the first round. Um, I think that there's other guys too. I mean, George Pickens could certainly go. Um, there's, you know, Bob McGinn splashed a little bit of cold water on the Christian Watson love today, you know, with executives ranking him the 11th ranked wide receiver in this class, uh, saying that none of them had a first round grade on him. And that is actually Daniel Jeremiah has noted that as well. Um, you know, again, that's not the end all be all. All it takes is one team. He's very athletic, but you know, basically they were citing that he doesn't have production. And, you know, even though he played with a top three pick and Trey Lance for a little bit, and you know, he's a multi-year starter, but again, he played against guys who were running four sixes, four sevens at the top end. So obviously that could I mean he still didn't have that much production. So that's still kind of like that's kind of the issue from a lot of NFL teams. Uh so I personally don't think he's gonna be in the first round. Uh, but at the same time, I think Dotson. Pickens, both very, very live to make it in the first round. When you're sifting through this bet, you're not arguing the names. You're arguing right. the, the number. one of them. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So whether you think Watson or not, cool. If you want to sneak in, you know, Dotson, like you said, instead. That does, that part doesn't matter. Yeah. No, and I think Dotson's actually a pretty good bet now, too. Instead of taking over yeah. five and a half first-time wide receivers, I think you can get a guy like Dotson at under 32 and a half, at like minus 120. Um, you know, I think that he seemingly is the most likely out of that group to be in the first round pick, but I think you'd also make a case for pickings to a plus money. Um, you could also bet both. I think that they're both very live there. Um, but I think those would probably be my two picks. Uh, if I had to pick two, I, I agree with Daniel's point. I think that the player discussion is fun because, um, there are different ways to get it. Whereas, you know, we saw today, Greg Cassell, uh, Matt Bowden, who I respect a ton, really enjoy their stuff. They had pickings as the number one receiver in this class. Um, these are not guys that are like, I don't know, like these aren't just any dudes. These are like legit. These are the film grinders. These are like the class of the class of the film grinders. Th- thinking of like the way that a lot of teams run a lot of, you know, three split one receiver sets, whereas Pickens is a prototypical guy that you could put uh, in the X by himself on the outside. That's a pretty interesting thing. When you think about what the build is and how the Packers typically draft athletically, especially in the first round, what they're looking at from a receiver standpoint, Pickens kind of fits that mold a little bit more so than a Dotson. I think Dotson's going to be a really good pro. Like he got a shit ton of targets at Penn State's, barely dropped any of them, uh, is kind of electric and getting open. Not a big body receiver though, so I have a hard time putting him to Green Bay. But again, if the if the Chiefs aren't able to move up a little bit into the first round and stay home and address the receiver position there, I think Dotson makes a ton of sense there. I'd like to see him in that offense quite a bit. I, I believe I will probably replace Watson, even though the Chiefs value speed. I mean, they drafted Miko Hardman, and he didn't even play slot receiver at Georgia until his sophomore year. Like, he was a late bloomer still learning the position, and they didn't care. They still put uh, emphasis on him for his speed. Same for Watson, who has the sixth fastest 40 among this class. But I think I will shove Dotson at the end if we're nitpicking here. Um the only issue is that he is going to be 22 on draft day and was a late breakout, really didn't do anything, emerged till his junior year. That's always concerning for prospects. But again, sure. maybe teams don't view that as well. Whereas like, you know, Watson had what, 52 career games and he didn't play a single career game against F- against FBS competition. Like, so he's just, and he had a, he had a 13% drop, uh, drop rate. So like he's totally untested. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, Noonan, you know who the their number two receiver was? Who? Jamison Williams. Um, but 
So yeah, I think the Pickens point too. I mean, Pickens was like a, a Debbie darling. You know, he had 730 yards as a freshman at Georgia yeah. in the SEC. And from there, his career only downturned. But, you know, again, like he showed some talent early on. Like, I think that he's very, very live in the first as well. Yeah, it's an interesting draft. I think that there are definitely better ways to Connor's point to get into this versus, you know, laying the 250, 275 that's out there. You know, maybe taking a play on Pickens, Top 32, I think, is plus 150. I think that that's very interesting. Uh, could be a different way to go about it. First quarterback market is one that is something that I struggled with doing in my mock take. I don't know about you. Uh, again, there is kind of the lazy, uh, maybe that's not fair. There's a lot of discussion around the Panthers at six uh, taking a quarterback. Typically, it's Kenny Pickett. I think that there are a lot of issues with that for a number of reasons. But we know that a quarterback... I don't know. Maybe we don't. Maybe this is a very interesting take. Doesn't go in the first round. I feel like that they, one probably does. I just don't know where that where they go. Um, it is very common. Uh, Daniel, you noted this in your draft. The Steelers, we typically have a pretty good sense of who they're taking in the first round. Before that first round happens annually, uh, it happens uh, multiple times in the last four or five years. Willis has been kind of the guy that it looks like Tomlin is in love with, you know, Google AIs at the pro days and all those things. They want to get mobile, very, very like natural fit to start with Mitchell Trubisky, a mobile quarterback, right? At least a quarterback that is, you know, able to create outside the pocket, do things off script, uh, and not really have to rearrange your offense when you want to slide a rookie quarterback like Malik Willis into the offense. Uh, what are your thoughts on the first quarterback drafted market? As you mentioned, we have no doubts that the Steelers are going to take Malik Willis. Really, the question is, do the Panthers take him at six, or do they trade back and take him? The good news is, if they are honed in, and again, I get to ask David Newton and Nick Underhill this tomorrow, so I'm very excited because I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. But if the Panthers are infatuated outside of quarterback, it's clearly going to be offensive line, and they will have that option at six, maybe with Icky, but certainly with either Evan Neal or Charles Cross. And so that's kind of where I keep coming back to is maybe they stay put after all. But if they drop back and take Pickett for mock draft's sake, and I shouldn't say this because I don't want Noonan to get more points than me, but if I pin Pickett to six overall to the Panthers, I still get the points for player and team fit. So right. I may just I may just do it anyways and say screw it because I also think putting trades in your mock is a fool's errand. So I still think they can trade back. The question is if they trade back, do they trade back for Pickett, knowing they can get him before the Steelers? And then the second question is, do the Saints take him if all tackles are taking, if he's the best player best player available on their board? So those are the two things I'm trying to figure out, Panthers and Saints, in terms of Pickett. Otherwise, no doubt in my mind, Wills to the Steelers at 20. Yeah, I mean, something I keep coming back to, though, uh, with Pickett at six is that it's in Matt Rule's contract that he has the final decision on all personnel. Um, and so when you kind of look at that, if they're going to, like a head coach does not trade back and be like, oh, well, we'll, get, we'll let the quarterback come to us. You know, like that to me, I think that there's actually, like the more that I think about it, like a very low chance of that happening. Even if hypothetically they could do that, I think that that's just like a, that's like a fantasy analyst like mindset. And I've, I, or like just like, I think that it's a hypothetical scenario that certainly could work out, but how often do we really see that happen? I mean, I, again, I think that if they really want the guy, they're probably going to just stay put and take him. And if they don't really want him, they could trade back, but they probably just 
they probably just don't really like him that much. If they don't like him at six, then even if they move back to the Saints at, say, 16 to 19, I mean, are they really think they're going to pick take him there? Like, I guess maybe, but are you that stoked about having a guy that you didn't want at six? I guess if you know that you can get him there, that's great. But I feel like guys like this, especially Rule, who is, I think, on the hot seat, is not going to take a chance if he really does like him. And if he doesn't like him, then why would he take him at 16 or 19 if he's just going to ruin his chances either way? So I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. Um, as it relates to the Panthers, I've gone back and forth on this. I mean, 50 times in the last two weeks, because you bring up some great points. Josh Norris brings up some great points in terms of what they're doing. Um, I personally, at this point don't know. I think that they probably stand pat and take an offensive lineman, but uh, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think through all these scenarios and just, you just don't see that scenario very often. I mean, it's, it's lovely theoretically. And I think we heard Jeremiah talk about it today. Like they want picket plus they want to get picket still. They love to be able to add a second or you know a third that they don't currently have because they believe they pick six and then one thirty-seven. So again, a team that has a lot of needs needs to fill those guys. You you need starters at the second and third round, so they need to get those picks. Theoretically, you have to have a team to move up. So are there a do they have a dance partner? Is there someone out there that someone wants to move up for? Typically, when you move up into the first round, Daigle, it's for a quarterback. Um, so in this scenario, we're talking about a team looking to get out of the first round to still get the quarterback that they want. Uh, and this is a very unusual thing. I don't really know what that scenario is. And then everyone in the league knows that Carolina is trying to get out of that position. They are definitely not for dealing from a position of power. They are kind of under leveraged here too. If they don't back out, it's going to be their choice. I cannot imagine with so much steam around Jameson Williams and the cornerback market, I cannot imagine every team from the Vikings, maybe the Chargers for sure, the Chiefs, the Saints, perhaps the Cardinals. I cannot imagine they won't have six to eight offers ready to go immediately. And so it'll be their own doing. Um, yeah, that's that. I forgot what my next point was, but yeah. Uh, I mean, dance partners. So, there's some dance partners. Yeah. So as it relates to this market, I think you brought up a good point. So we know that the Steelers like him, right? But right now Malik Willis is minus 140 to be the first QB drafted. Kenny Pickett is plus money uh, in this market. And so who picks him first? You know, like we're confident the Steelers will pick him at 20 if he's there. Uh, I think that's pretty safe. But if he falls out of the top 10, are, would they consider trading up to 12 maybe to get him with the Vikings or 13 with the Texans? They've shown interest in moving back. I mean, even 10 to the Jets, they've shown some interest in moving back. Like all of that kind of range there um, very much seems like they could be trading up for him because, or they're just that confident that they're going to get Malik Willis um, you know, and not have to give up any equity. But I mean, that's some serious confidence uh, that they will get him there. So I think that's viable too. At the end of the day, though, I'm not playing this market. We have some plus money. We bet this at plus 140. Um, you know, I again, I, I have like a quarter of a position on what normally I would for the other bets. Um, but I'm considering buying out of even half of that at plus money and just hedging in some profit on Kenny Pickett because... This is a super volatile market. Also, I want to relate this really quickly back to 2013 draft. I was just thinking about this. So people have related it back to that, right? With uh, Geno Smith and EJ Manuel were the two quarterbacks. Even a day or two before the draft, I don't know why I distinctly remember this. Geno Smith was being mocked. five years old. Yeah, Geno Smith was being mocked in the top five consistently. Um, Because... The NFL, because those guys were like the media members were like, well, a quarterback has to go in the top five or quarterback has to go in the top 10. You know, like, like I know the league has changed since then. You know, I know that the league has become more quarterback driven, but at the same time, like the media almost kind of, you know, wrote like raised their draft positions and made it seem like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like quarterback should have to go there. These teams need a quarterback. This is the best prospect. Like they're going to pick him. 
Um, but I think this is a pretty similar scenario where like a guy like Malik Willis, sure he is upside, but does, I mean, his floor is super low, you know, very little experience guy like Kenny Pickett pro ready, but very little upside. It seems like no arm talent. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, where, where should those guys really go? I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing. Uh, so I think that this could be like a, I mean, Geno Smith fell out of the first round. He attended the draft and he fell out of the first round if I remember correctly. So if I may play devil's advocate, or maybe I'm even agreeing with you, uh, in 2013, they also didn't realize, or it wasn't happening, that 2014, that 32 GMs knew it was going to be the next great class, where everyone is shuffling, knowing all the bad teams are shuffling, knowing they're waiting for their quarterback next year. That's why no one wants a quarterback in this draft. Not only because they have huge blemishes, but uh, like like Kenny Pickett, one-year wonder, um, Sam Howe injured, but Sam Howe also lost four NFL players in his starting offense until his final year that out of nowhere became a rushing quarterback. Um, Malik Willis has the lowest completion rate under pressure of this entire quarterback class. Also a small school quarterback who didn't fare well, two and three, four games against ACC, and then one against the SSC where he was just absolutely murdered. Um, there are just so many red marks with this. Whereas everyone, like I mentioned earlier, knows next year's the great class. And so knowing that it's also a hearsay league, it's a sheep league, like everyone's kind of positioning, knowing their friends are positioning for the CJ Strouds of the world. That's my issue. And so I still think we get one, if not two, knowing the Lions are probably going to poach us at 32. But pick it again to the Saints or Panthers. That is my point. That's where I'm sticking. The Saints thing is interesting, right? Because I am of the mindset that if, the Saints truly roll on at a quarterback and they want to get in this mix of quarterbacks that when they made that trade, they probably would have done so to get higher. Now, Daigle make a good point. Like they very much could be playing the game of best player on our board and they could sit there and say, yeah, we weren't necessarily making the trade to do that. We needed to get some receiver talents because we don't have a lot besides Michael Thomas. We need to replace Terran Armstead who went to Miami. There's numerous offensive linemen that make a lot of sense here. We can get back into the playoff mix. It's not a strong division, Carolina, Atlanta. Like we have some te- some wins, we can get back into the playoff mix quickly. But if they happen to have a decent grade on Kenny Pickett, uh, if they like Malik Willis uh, and they want to cuck the Steelers before the Steelers pick, they have two opportunities to do so. So very interested to see what happens with the Saints. I don't think they're in a spot to trade up. Like people have talked about, hey, the Saints have two firsts, they can make a play. I don't think that that's what's going to happen there, but. They very much could have a high grade and can be playing coy, sit there and let someone follow them and uh, and swipe up. So Desmond Ritter, I believe we took, um, I know I took a 25 to one to be first quarterback just because I thought it was an interesting speculative number. Uh, he had been gaining some, some steam. I don't think that he goes ahead of Willis or Pickett theoretically, but I had a really hard time placing Pickett in my mock draft if I didn't put him to Carolina. So I thought about the Carolina thing from a mock draft standpoint, because I do think that there's a possibility that he still lands there. But again, like I don't want that name in the top six because there are so many other guys that I like in there. So it's definitely an interesting thing. It is unusual. Uh, as you mentioned, we have, you know, young and Stroud next year is, is pretty much uh, at this point figured to be consensus lock top fives uh, Richardson out of Florida, I think is another guy that's going to find his way into the first round too. So definitely a better quarterback class than, than we have here, Connor. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, you know, kind of going off that, like you said, you wouldn't be surprised if no quarterbacks go in the first round. We're pretty confident that two go right now, the over under on quarterbacks at some shops is three and a half. You're laying a little bit of juice on the under minus minus one seventy five. Um, But I mean, to me, that seems like a good bet. Uh, I mean, that would require both Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral making it in the first round. 
in addition to Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis. I mean, if we think that even if we think both of those guys fall out of the top 10, I mean, that is a jam packed second half of the first round picking of those, these teams picking quarterbacks. And as you guys mentioned, if we know that next year's class is loaded, I mean, it seems pretty far fetched to seem that all of those guys go to lose the bet uh, in that the back after the second round. So I think that that's actually becoming closer and closer to playable territory for me. Um, you know, I already had a small position on that, like minus one thirty. But I mean, even in minus one sixty, minus one seventy, I think it's it's interesting. Yeah, not a spot for player evaluation, but I think Matt Corral might be good, decent. It'd be interesting. Are you sure? He, I don't think he's bad. I don't think his D ball stuff is not very good. If you look at some of the numbers there. Uh, he also lost some talent there in his, uh, you know, sophomore to junior years. He's just really small and loves to run. So like, I don't know that he stays healthy, but I don't know that he's uh, necessarily bad at football. So but these he, guys are all like, like backup quarterbacks though. Like, I mean, like, yeah. like really, like, are you, I mean, are you drafting like a backup quarterback in the end of the first round? Like when you can get like a the, true, like a day one starter. The issue for Corral is that you would be wasting or not waste. You'd be using high draft capital on a question mark. Not saying he can't do it, but he's never proven it. Like the last two years under Lane Kiffin, 60% play action rate, uh, led the nation last year with the fifth most passing yards on screens. Like he was strictly a, when you get pressure, you make your first read and dump the ball off. That's all he did. So I I just don't know. And I don't know if anyone would spend a first round capital on him. Tennessee has been linked to him. Um, that's why I think Ritter's the one who sneaks in because he's the one who teams feel like at least progressed every single year and has shown NFL, NFL tendencies, both with his arms and reads. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, makes a lot of sense. Uh, half is here. Join very late. Uh, can I interest you in Titans taking a quarterback? Yeah. I mean, have I mocked Kenny Pickett there in my first mock draft? Um, I think there are thoughts there. They can get out of some big money on Tannehill after next year. Um, that makes sense. Again, that's doesn't, I, I think that they could, but I also feel like that feels like a spot where we're looking to find a home for quarterbacks versus does that make a lot of sense for the Titans on draft day, considering where they're at, they're still in a winnable spot in the division coming off of another playoff berth. So uh, yes and no. Again, the quarterback thing I think is, is really hard. Last, uh, last two, uh, first quarterback to be drafted. Don't feel like there's a core or a uh, running back going in the first round Daigle, unless there's, I think the only team that's been really talked about here would be the Bills. Uh, from all accounts, Brees, uh, Brees Hall is very special. He's going to be someone that we are excited to draft in fantasy leagues, in best ball leagues, uh, to play in DFS. Uh, I think the mindset of you know where we're at from a positional value standpoint is very much changed slowly over the last five to ten years. Brees Hall 10 years ago, Brees Hall 15 years ago, is a surefire top 15 pick. Um the way that we kind of allocate, you know, draft capital these days, not so much. There's actually a decent draft for um, some running backs. And Brees Hall, I do think, is the bell of the ball, Diggle. We know the Bills have prioritized explosiveness. That's what they've been looking for when adding running backs. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, they drafted for their broken tackle rates. Little did they realize they discovered Little did they realize the broken tackle rate doesn't matter when you run horizontally afterwards. Uh, so they keep on, like with Matt Breida signing, they keep on just looking for splash plays to help out their passing game, to open it up. We saw the Jags numerous times, whether it be the Patriots in the regular season, the Jaguars, many other games just get stunted by two high safety because they had zero running game and no team respected them, just sending four rushers and getting there every time. And now 
after the Bills tried to add a specific player in J.D. McKissick, pay him more money than Washington before McKissick backed out and went back to Washington, we now, we now have a player that not only fits that profile in Brees Hall, averaging 27 catches per season, but that also brings that explosiveness with him. Uh, his 41 touchdowns the past two seasons are five more than any other running back in college football in that span. And also, just to be a workhorse and having 531 carries the past two years while also running a 4.3940 at 217 pounds, that's massive. That's truly a workhorse. And the argument is they were a forward-thinking organization. And I am definitely along for the ride with that argument. Perhaps, though, the double-edged sword is that they are so forward-thinking. They understand, in hindsight, they played the league's easiest schedule last year. And they still struggled for 10 games, 12 games out of the gates, until they opened up their offense, which, by the way, they also know no longer is connected to Brian Dable. What happens with his offense? So they could easily still be trying to make life easier with a three-down running back with all the skill and explosiveness like Brees Hall has constantly showed. And so I, I'm at 50-50 right now. I don't know what I'm going to do in my final mock, but we basically have one out to the Bills, and I, I think there's a great chance we get there. I'm just not sure yet. What do you think here, Connor? Yeah, so I actually just wrote up an article on this first running back drafted. So right now, Brees Hall is minus 250 uh, to be the first running back drafted. Uh, I think that's really rich. I think that he's by far the best prospect. But to be honest, like at the end of the first round and even into the second round, like this position becomes so much more volatile. We saw in the last few years, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire leaped over Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I mean, we've seen it you know, periodically where would it be that crazy if a guy like Kenneth Walker was drafted over Brees Hall, if they both made it into the second round, I think that that's very, very much in play. Um, and now part of the issue here is if you're gonna, if the only out and something that we've seen here has been like basically Buffalo bills or bust is the only out for a running back in the first round. We kind of look at, at least in my opinion, maybe there's some other one that I'm missing, but I think that Cardinals probably- would be the only other one. Yeah, maybe the Cardinals. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe the Cardinals or Bills. Right now, you can get the the Bills to draft a running back in the first round at plus 600. So rather than laying the minus 250 or the plus 130 on over one and a half running back or over half a running back drafted, which is the current line right now, it's, uh, you know, plus 130 on over, like minus 180 on zero running backs drafted. um, I think the plus 600 is a much better way to approach it. And then if you're betting on this specific market, the first running back drafted, I think Brees Hall is probably the first running back drafted. But again, if he doesn't go to Buffalo, I, I, I think all bets are off. Second round, I have no idea. Like all it takes is one team deciding that they like, you know, a more pure runner in Kenneth Walker, and that's what they need over a guy like Brees Hall. Or, you know, someone there, James Cook got some buzz uh, in some circles as like, you know, an Alvin Kamara type role, uh, you know, and maybe not at that level as a prospect, but like using him in that kind of role. He's like 40 to one. I mean, again, I'm not betting either of those. I'm just saying that I would preach caution on betting Brees Hall at like minus 250 to be the first running back drafted. Yeah, I like the team fits. Uh, you can be careful with that because that can get a little dicey. And you, if he doesn't go early, he doesn't go in the first round to to Buffalo, he's probably not happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Brees Hall, and, you know, Kenneth Murray did test better than people were thinking. I just think Brees Hall maybe is one of those, I don't want to say generational running backs, but I think, again, if this draft was back in the day, uh, very much – Brees Hall is is uh, a buzzy, noteworthy guy that's going super early, and I think the league has kind of caught on, and, and the way that we value the position in general uh, has fallen off quite a bit. Last one, uh, Tyler Smith to be selected in the first round. Uh, a lot of buzz on Smith as we've gotten into this process. Uh, we took him, um, I believe we did, I did, um, at plus 250 
to be a first round pick that is dropped now to, I believe, plus 120 uh, at DraftKings. Uh, rumors to New Orleans that made a lot of sense to Smith. And again, we get into a spot where um, there are a lot of tackle offensive linemen specific heavy teams in the back half of the draft. Smith has been an ascending player who has kind of a, a mean streak to him. People like him, smaller school at Tulsa, so maybe not the buzz. Uh, you know, they were thinking part, partially why you get the number, uh, but some scouts love him and some, you know, teams in, in particular. Again, New Orleans makes a lot of sense. We talked about Armstead. They need to replace him. We've gone down the line here with, um, you know, Dallas, uh, Green Bay, more so Tampa Bay, uh, Cincinnati. All these teams are very much in the market for an offensive lineman. The reason he falls out here is because there are a lot of other guys that are in the mix that are in this late tier of first offensive or first round offensive lineman Daigle. So uh, thoughts here on Smith. Uh, is it still bettable to you at plus 120? Patriots, Cowboys, Packers, Bengals, Bucks. That's why I have Tyler Linderbaum, who won the Remington Trophy for the nation's best center, squeezed into the back of the first round. That's why I have Tyler Smith in the first round as well. Having said that, even though I'm confident about them two and Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green sneaking in here, I'm not betting it because there are, again, far too many names. Again, go look at my mock draft at the very bottom, fringe first-round players. I think I put 10 there because literally you see like guys that in expert mocks are 48% of the time, 52% of the time in first rounds because we're just trying to squeeze a number of players in. And so Tyler Smith is part of that range we're squeezing. But given the needs, especially in the back with the Bucks and the Bengals, like you mentioned, Noonan, um, Bucks, it's massive just because Alex Kappa, of course, bolted for Cincinnati. And then you have Ollie Marpet, who retired this year. So right now, the Bucks starting left guard in front of Tom freaking Brady is Aaron Stinney, who only played 86 snaps at left guard last year. That's not going to fly. That's not happening. They're protecting Brady with their first pick. We know that. He is the GM. And then for the Bengals, it just makes so much sense because after a it, – Jesus, it's literally an immaculate – uh, what they did to revamp that offensive line. One great. weak link, Jackson Carmen at left guard. They yep. have Ted Karras, who we know plays interior, not just center, but interior. If they take Tyler Smith, they can just kick out, or Linderbaum for that instance, they can just kick out Karras to left guard. They put Linderbaum or Smith in the interior. They're just fine. And then you suddenly have Kappa you stole from the Bucks, as well as Lyle Collins on the right side. Just amazing job. And so it completes their one weakness last year. And so I think it makes too much sense to leave Tyler Smith out of the first round. I agree, Connor. What are your thoughts? Did you get down on the 250? I think you did. I did. Yeah, I did. I did. And I, I like it. I think that at plus 120, again, you you laid out a great case of why this is, I think, a lot closer to a 50-50 bet. So if you're looking at a 50% implied, implied you know, probability, you're looking at like an even uh, at plus 120, that technically makes this a value. You know, obviously, I don't love it after we got down to plus 200, but I still think it's certainly, certainly in play. I think that something you should consider, Daigle, and you've made a great point for it, would be, uh, you know, the over-under and the number of offensive linemen. Uh, you know, something that you know, you've kind of made me think about here. I don't have the exact number. I believe it's seven and a half in the first round. That seems high, but, you know, you made a great point on the amount of teams that kind of need uh, offensive linemen. And just off the top, we're looking at Aquanu, Neil, Cross, Penning. Linderbaum, uh, as you mentioned, Zion Johnson, you mentioned Kenyon Green, uh, Tyler Smith. I mean, we're already at eight right there. So, uh, you know, I think that that's like, and that was just literally off the top of my head. I think that there's one or two that could also sneak in uh, as well. So, yeah, I think that that's an interesting way to play this as well. Um, if you're considering, you know, anything, any other kind of derivative action on this. Yeah. Uh, seven and a half is an, an interesting number 
to Diggle's point, there are so many outs, and there are a lot of reasons that teams can uh, shift here in the back half. Like, you know, projecting out in the back half of the first gets super duper tricky, uh, especially when we know that could be the range for teams training back up to solidify that fifth year on the quarterback that slides, um, that wants someone that wants, you know, um, really any of the quarterbacks we talked about that we think that could be available here late in the first. It could be all of them. So it gets a little tricky. I do think Smith is maybe a little bit ahead of some of those other guys. But, again, it could be preference. It could be fits. Um, it could be, you know, versatility. I do think that the uh, Bengals thing is interesting. I'm excited about it. Um, we will be back. Mock draft point 2.0 uh, VR coming, I believe, probably with Daigle. It will probably be the Wednesday before the draft. It will probably be, at least for me, Probably be picks only, uh, very little written content with it at this point. Uh, but again, we'll definitely have that. The what's going into the competitions mock coming out before uh, we go live next Thursday. So um, we'll be back on Tuesday, right? Tuesday? It Tuesday. is Tuesday for the big show. The, the big show. Uh, we always typically bring on three guests. Now we stole one permanently. Uh, and Daigle is part of the family here. But we'd be joined by Evan Silva of Establish the Run and Joey Kanish, lionspride.org. Uh, big, big uh, mock draft grinder. Kanish uh, here to antagonize all of us. Uh, we can get Kanish's takes at uh, number two with the Lions and 32 as well in the first round. Get some of the uh, insights here from him. It's always entertaining. So um, anything else, boys? Uh, anything else that we need to pub, let you know? Connor's been pumping out lots of great content on the site. Uh, most of it, if all of it is not, I believe, I believe it's all free, Connor, 444.com. Yeah, no, it's all free. I've broken down uh, all the position markets so far. And then I'm, uh, I have one coming out tomorrow on my favorite top 32 picks. Um, and so, I mean, just kind of like breaking down some of the markets there uh, as well. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, I'll probably have a couple more. Maybe, maybe I'll slide in. I'll probably tweet out a mock draft. I don't really want to write up all of the, you know, all every single player like you guys did. That seems like a little bit aggressive amount of work considering I wrote up all the players already in the position totals articles. So, And while you boys think on the biggest launch shot to sneak into the top 10 since Vegas Refund is a good fan and asking that question in the chat, I will just remind everyone to go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe to the most accurate podcast because tomorrow's show, very big. Again, David Newton, ESPN of the Panthers, Nick Underhill, New Orleans Football of the Saints, and Gilbert Manzano of LA Times and the Chargers, if not a couple more sprinkled in. Love it. Um, any other questions? We have some questions here. Um, that was the bold prediction here. What do we got from Dane? Uh, Pennington round one minus 500 and retire early. Um, uh, we know someone that did that. I don't know if he's going to be able to retire off of it. Um, hopefully he's able to use it to get married. Uh, he'll need that money for that. But uh, yeah, Penning is uh, minus 500, probably the surest fire first round pick that's being booked out there currently on on DraftKings. Um, yeah, Daigle's going to have lots of good stuff for you over on um, Team App tomorrow. So definitely check that out. Also, again, subscribe, move the line. Don't want to miss that. We'll be back next week on Tuesday, Kanish and Silva. Uh, and we'll fire off all of our final draft takes there. So for Connor and Daigle, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all very soon. Thanks.